Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Work It, the podcast all about entrepreneurship, hosted by me, journalist Angelica Malin, in collaboration with WorkLife. In season two of Work It, I'm chatting to some of the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the UK, from e-commerce wizards to retail experts, all about their secret recipe for success. If you don't already know, WorkLife has eight amazing co-working spaces across the UK, which provide a unique workspace experience designed around you and your team's happiness. They also have delicious free snacks, which I can personally vouch for. Don't forget to follow at work.life to find out more about WorkLife spaces and book in a free trial day at work.life. Today on the show, I'm joined by Nana Parry. Um, thank you so much for joining me. You are the CEO of Metier. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your business? Yes. So what we do is we help uh, founders, especially non-technical ones, build digital businesses. So it kind of ends up being um, their initial version of the product. Mm. So what we call a minimum viable product. We get out the initial version of that app or website or e-commerce platform. And then we basically see, based on what the market says, if we got it right in terms of the assumptions that we made about the idea. Mm. And if not, we tweak it, basically. So you help um, companies test out software, essentially, and come up, launch new digital products. Exactly. Launching new digital products with a view that, for example, we worked with um, a really cool company called The Good Brownie Company. They make delicious brownies. Um, They basically used to go around to different offices and sell their brownies to different office spaces, but we basically built them an e-commerce platform so people could just order their brownies online, which Mm -hmm. allows them to scale a bit um, and think about how they want to grow their business. um, So kind of helping small businesses grow and coming up with digital solutions. Exactly, correct. And what was your route into entrepreneurship? How did you get into this? Um, You know what, it's weird. I think the first time was probably when I was 13, I used to charge people to come to my birthday parties. That was that is literally how I started. Yeah, so including my brother and sister, who hopefully will. Not, yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I recognise that you know you, you know you go to these kind of kids parties and stuff, and they're cool, but they're all a bit standard. And I just thought I could probably do something a bit better and probably charge people to come to it and yeah these people used to pay five pounds a ticket or something and, and what did you do at these parties that just basically the it, was, it was like either um like a power league type football thing or um you know one time embarrassingly we did a um uh, a fancy dress a fancy dress party um where people were dressed up in a 
fairly ridiculous way, let's say. Mm. And, um, you know, even got my te- managed to get my teachers down to supervise it because we were only 17. People were paying, yeah, five to eight pounds a ticket. And that was basically my money for the year from that party. Yeah. So, wow. I, yeah, I don't know how it happened. But so people you always had a, good, had a kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't really know why it was that I thought that was a good a good idea. Um, but after that, when I went to university in Manchester, I had a friend who just said, oh, I'm going to this entrepreneurship society thing. Do you want to come? Um, and she was doing a kind of beauty product. And I just thought, OK, it would just be interesting to tag along. And then after that, it was pretty cool. Like I just got to see lots of people's different ideas and realise that, yeah, I could probably start something here. Yeah. And then from there, where did you go career-wise? So I started in IT project management, basically. So worked for a Japanese IT company called Fujitsu. Um, I started there as a graduate and basically kind of worked my way up after um, a fairly short period of time to work for the CEO of the company. Um, and he basically taught me how he ran a billion dollar business. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to spend that time with him, but also I was put into a stretch role afterwards where I was managing pretty big projects at a very young age without actually knowing what I was doing mm-hmm. and kind of feeling like, okay, if I can get through this, um, I should be able to you know, get through it. It sounds like there was an element of luck and serendipity that pushed you into a role which kind of challenged you. 100%, 100%. The first opportunity was, I think, three weeks into the graduate scheme at Fujitsu. Um, they were looking for graduates to go to Edinburgh to work on a pretty big project, part of a very small team, but very important. Um, you know, I had no reason to say no, really. I thought it would be cool to spend some time in Edinburgh, even though I didn't have a lot of experience. So I said yes, and I think that's the, the kind of luck, making your own luck part, which is, you know, you have to say yes to some of these things. Mm-hmm. And then when you're, at, when you're actually there, you can, you know, kind of see the opportunities and kind of grab hold of them. Yeah. Exactly, because I feel like there's kind of two schools of thought with entrepreneurship. One is that you just launch straight into something, you, mm. you take a risk, you throw it all in, perhaps you don't know anything about the industry and you just give it a go. Mm-hmm. And the other is go somewhere, take a few years, mm-hmm. soak up as much as you can and learn and then go into launch your own thing. Mm-hmm. And I think they both have their benefits and I've hosted I a lot agree, of events yeah. with both people. But something I have found is a lot of people, once they go into a company, find it hard to leave. And yes. they find it hard to step out of the comfort of mm-hmm. a salary and a nine to five and structure and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your experience working for that company actually helped you in your future with entrepreneurship? It definitely did help me. Um, and I think that I agree with you that it can work both ways. I think it's ultimately down to self-awareness, I mm-hmm. think, in a way. So I knew that the experience of working with execs and understanding how a large business is run gave me some insight into what it would be like if I was to do my own thing. However, you know, quitting did mean... I've, I gave up, you know, giving up this is the regular paycheck type of thing, mm. understanding that, you know, I've saved a bunch of money thinking, oh, yeah, I'll be good for a year. And, you know, within six months, it's, you know, very, very <laughs> low. Job, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Virtually gone. So I think it I think it just depends on the individual. I think both can work. But I can say for myself, it definitely helped me a lot, because, for example, when I was sitting with the CEO when he was you know, discussing with his salespeople, what the pipeline looked like and um, how they were going to meet their targets, Mm. I was able to take that into 
my business from just seeing that, not reading it in a book, but actually seeing it. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot more of a nurturing environment than mm-hmm. what I imagine most corporates to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting that access to someone who, who is willing to share a lot of inside information. And stuff. Yes, exactly. And I, I agree with that. But I also think that the way that that meeting happened initially with the CEO was I just was very, very persistent, just mm-hmm. getting, trying to get 15 minutes in his diary through his executive assistant, and they kept moving the meeting, and oh, he's got something more important. I just said, it's fine, just keep it in the diary. I didn't actually meet him, I think, for maybe eight months really? from the beginning, and but I just, just kept at it. Just kept, just said, don't cancel the meeting, just keep it in there. And then when I got there, he said, you know, um, how did you even get time in my diary? And I just said, just ask for it. And he asked me what so how can I help you? I just said, I know we've only got 15 minutes, just teach me about how you come up with a business strategy for a company this size. We just did that 15 minutes, and then we were able to kind of create a kind of mentor-type relationship where every so often we would meet up, and I think it was from, again, kind of the creating your own luck. Yes, it was very fortunate mm-hmm. that he was able to give me the time, which was the luck bit, but mm-hmm. if I didn't put myself in a position to get that luck, then it would have... It may not have happened in that mm. way. It's interesting because I think mentorship is quite a hard thing. It's mm. something we talk about a lot. and it's, Everyone says it's really important to have a mentor. And I've often thought to myself, well, where are these mentors? You know, mm-hmm. I, I often look for people in similar circumstances who have launched similar businesses, and mm. it's very difficult to find. Yeah. So it sounds like you really went out and found your own mentor, basically. Yeah, I really tried to understand what knowledge gaps I had. So I understood that, you know, I wanted to run a business. I was very interested in business, but... A, I'd never done it on a large scale. Mm. I'd never had a team. You know, I've never hired anyone, all of these things. So it was trying to find people that kind of fit that mold. But I also learned through that process that you do get a lot of people who don't reply to you mm. or will say, I haven't got time. But if you keep at it, someone who is appropriate will eventually will help you out will help you out yeah what did you find the corporate environment like like did mm. you find it a nurturing environment or was it quite competitive and a bit a bit too competitive to be enjoyable yeah i think that i mean at least from my experiences mostly nurturing but i felt that with the corporate environment the issue i had was it was quite hard to come with new ideas and implement them mm. because I can respect that with a corporate company. They have a specific bottom line or revenue they need to hit. But if the traditional sales way isn't working, I would try and come up with another idea to do it. And often it wasn't taken on board Mm. um, because I was coming from a different angle. But I definitely felt that it it was less about the nurturing side. It was more about the speed of things. In, In big corporates, things are... Slow to get off the ground. Mostly slow, exactly, yeah, and red tape and, um, you know, decisions Mm. three or four levels above before you can do something. And by that time, the market might have moved on. So it was more kind of that level of grind versus um, the, the competitive yeah. environment yeah, yeah yeah and when it came to launching your own business how did you have the idea for it what inspired you to start it mm. so with Metier, it was very random very very random so i was visiting a friend in casablanca um and she had a snail business okay very, yeah very but i thought let me go um, you know i knew i used to live in denmark so i knew her from there and thought let me go and see her so i went to casablanca arrived at the airport they looked at my passport and they said passport control, passport control. I didn't understand what that meant, but they basically took me to another area 
took my passport, shut the door. And I couldn't communicate with them because I wasn't able to speak Arabic. Mm. Um, 10 minutes went, 20 minutes went, didn't know if they were forging my passport, didn't know what was going on. Then another guy comes in from the UK as well in a similar situation. And we start talking. Um, He says, so what do you do? I say, I would build, um, you know, I had a, a music business at the time. So talked about that, talked about digital products. And then he said, oh, okay, I'm looking for someone to do that kind of stuff. Do you have a team? And I said, yes, but the team was me, (laughs) me of one. And he said, okay, great. Um, I'm going to fly to London next week. Um, I'm going to come over with my colleague and we can start this project because I really want to do this. Um, So also fortunately, because we built a relationship, he called a very influential person that he knew who then called the police commissioner in Morocco, who then called whoever to say, let these two people go. And then within 10 minutes, had my passport, had my driving license out the door. And then, um, I mean, I might still be there for all I know (laughs) if it wasn't for him. Um, But then he came into London. And then, yeah, I basically called up a few friends and said, look, this thing's happening. Um, Do you want to be part of it? Basically had to create an agency around the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's why we've never... Um, So we haven't taken investment Mm. um, or anything like that. It's just been from from sales and it was just through seeking an opportunity and fortunately having a network for people to come on board and kind of do this crazy thing yeah yeah I mean I like it I think it's a little bit chancery but it's also it's also great because that is often how business happens I mean we get calls up being like can I speak to your accounts department and I'm like you're speaking to me you do pretend to be bigger than you are yeah 100% it's important for for brand awareness and everything I think so and then from there did the work just like naturally start coming in Um, it did for a period so um, we just started to get more people to ask us oh I didn't know you were doing this how do you you know, how do you build this stuff, etc. We did that. But what we end, the big mistake we made um, was that we were delivering for clients. And then at the time, we were still not convinced. We weren't seeing it as a real business, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and then it came to kind of winter time a couple of years ago. And we realized, oh, the market just slows down completely. So In winter? Yes, exactly. Kind of November, Christmas time, mm-hmm. January. Um, so then we realized, oh, we were just delivering for clients, um, no sales. And then we had a very, very tough period of managing cash flow mm-hmm. within that period until we got to a point where we understood our sales cycle, understood who our target customers were a bit better, and then started to kind of grow from there. But yeah, it didn't, yeah, it didn't natu- it naturally happen for a period, yeah. but we didn't take into account that that was going to that was going to you always end. have to yeah you have to plan out your cash flow knowing you're going to have that dip correct that lull, exactly which is yeah. not something you always anticipate exactly yeah, and I suppose yeah. it's difficult if you're not if you don't have people on retainer or you don't have like you're mm-hmm. working on a project basis correct exactly we were mostly working on a project basis and um, from our business now it's still quite project focused but we build in this retainer to continue to support mm. afterwards because most of the businesses want support mm. afterwards anyway yeah. yeah I mean I know running a website I'm constantly ringing out my guy yeah 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 so you never took investment would you have ever taken investment do you think that would have been useful yeah so for a previous business um, I have taken investment so we raised uh, funds through angel investors and it was very appropriate for that type of business because it was one where it, we weren't go. We weren't likely to get customers overnight, and there was going to be build um, costs. So it was appropriate. But for this particular business, even though we've had people express an interest in investing, we as a team feel like this is something that can just be a sustainable business as long as we do our job, mm-hmm. which is 
sell um, you know, sell our services, but also provide value for our customers, meaning you know, as it is today, most of our customers come from recommendations through the work we've done for them. Um, as long as we do that, then it should continue to, to grow. So maybe one day it will be an appropriate time to mm. seek investment for Metier, but right now it's just about, you know, continuing what we're doing. I think sometimes it's like a question of do you even need it, you know? Yes. It's like unless you've got a very aggressive growth strategy or you've got to create something out of nothing and you need money to create it in the first place. Mm-hmm. If you can self-sustain, I think it's such a, so it's such a more healthy way of doing it and then you're not having that high burnout. Yes, exactly. And I think with the thing I noticed with raising money and getting the investment was, right, your attitude is you have a burn rate to achieve certain targets. But when the pressure is, you need to sell, as in you need to show you have something of value for people mm-hmm. to pay you for it as a business to survive. There is an added pressure, but you're building a business. You're actually building a business from the beginning, right? And I think the attitude in um, in the media as well around entrepreneurship is moving. I think in a good way towards the more sustainable business, mm-hmm. um, the less kind of raised you know, 100 million, get 200 million users and then figure out how to monetize them. It's more about, you know, is are you providing value today and how do you build on top of that value, mm. which I prefer. Create something a bit more real. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so many companies are based on their value being a really high amount of users or, or something mm. that's somewhat intangible. And actually, when you can just create, be like, this is something I made, here's an app I developed, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's, something to pre- it's something to show. Something to show, exactly. And for someone to actually part with their cash for it because mm. in the early days you know we didn't we didn't get our pricing mechanism right from the beginning sometimes you know we do a proposal and we're way off either under or over mm. um, but the fact that someone is willing to part with cash before you continue to invest in kind of the journey yeah i think that it's it's really valuable and it's 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 comforting to know that you know you're building something of value that people are willing to pay for. Definitely yeah. something something you can see. And exactly, feel. yeah. And also, I wouldn't want to be in the data business right now, anyway. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, when it comes to hiring and finding yeah. the right team, so you got this initial um, job, and then you went out and found friends and people to mm-hmm. help you out. From there, how did you grow it to like a, a more sustainable team, and how did you find the right people to hire? Yeah, so it was predominantly through network. But one thing I have stopped doing is looking at CVs of people. Mm. Um, one thing that I found from the team that you know I have today is that it's predominantly around, A, do they have integrity and do they fit with the culture that we're trying to bring into the company but also with clients? But also, are they willing to learn, basically? They don't have to have all the answers today. Are they willing to kind of figure it out? Because I'm very open. I don't have all... The answers and I'm going to need their help as well to figure some things out so ultimately it's down to just speaking to people within my network and also one of the guys who recently joined called Seb fantastic um, really smart young developer and he just came to one of our events basically and really liked what we did and said you know if there are, any, are there any opportunities here and I had a chat with him and thought he was a, a great fit and he's so far proven that yeah. it was it was great that so he came kind of to the intuitive event. higher yes um it's a much more intuitive and i guess sometimes you you get it right sometimes you get it wrong mm. but i'm more comfortable that that is the way that i've been most successful in finding the right people for the business and i'm just going to continue in that way, Going yeah, that way. yeah 
Um, something that I, I wanted to touch base on, I know something that you uh, feel strongly about is representation, mm-hmm. especially in tech and getting mm-hmm. more representation, more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what's been your experience with diversity in the tech scene and, mm-hmm. and how has it developed? Um, so my experience is that it's there's still a significant issue with underrepresentation mm-hmm. in black and ethnic minority groups. But I mean, I think it's the same with women as well. It's the same with uh, you know, people, uh, less able-bodied people, it's it's still prevalent. But I find that the, the main issue is that the most successful entrepreneurs are people who mostly come from money. That's just, that's a study, that's a fact, it's, it's not new. However, it doesn't mean that people who don't have the kind of security blanket can't... Um, can't be successful Mm. and most people who are kind of first second generation in the UK at least in London aren't from wealthy backgrounds if they're from a black or ethnic minority group so I find that the way to potentially get people involved is number one there has to be some kind of understanding that wealth needs to be given to these groups or money needs to be given to these groups to try these businesses out yeah yeah. Not necessarily, you know, if you give them 50K, they're going to give you, they're going to make you, you know, 50 million. But it's about starting to give access to get used to the idea that you can be given an opportunity to try something mm-hmm. and get the learning and get the belief. Um, and yeah, I think also on the side of minorities, it is unfair. I do believe there is um, a barrier for minorities and women in tech, but it's kind of finding the ways despite that as well don't don't let an institution or the society be a a barrier to making it happen for yourself understand that the context obviously but find ways to to make it happen otherwise Mm. do you think it's also about visibility that we're not seeing enough people enough diversity and representation so we don't know to aspire to like i don't Mm -hmm. see as many women on the front covers of tech magazines and all that kind of visibility element i feel it stops people kind of dreaming and thinking that it's possible for them yeah i 100 percent agree with that and you know as a you know black person myself who's come from you know my parents are Ghanaian. um i would say that i myself couldn't name I know they're out there, but I couldn't name multiple um, founders of, a, of an ethnic mm-hmm. origin. Mm-hmm. And I think that is useful. And that's why, you know, the team, we're going to a school next week. Um, we're from a diverse background and we're going to a school next week in, in East London to just talk about our business, right? So if it means that people can see that, oh, I look like them and maybe I can do this myself mm-hmm. one day, I think that's a very, very powerful powerful thing definitely that's fantastic i think the more the more of that the better Mm -hmm. do you think there's also a bit of a problem about language and how we talk about it i think something that i found kind of difficult is we host a lot of events and something i was quite aware of in the last female entrepreneur series we did was that there wasn't enough diversity Mm -hmm. and i was aware of it and i wanted to change it and something i found very difficult was how to talk about it more publicly i wanted to say I want more female black entrepreneurs to get in touch so we can put them on panels and everything like that. But I was kind of scared of how to say it, the language in which to say it, and not to offend people. And I think I felt as a white woman that it was not perhaps not not my place to say and I shouldn't be the one fighting for diversity. I know that sounds kind of silly, Mm. but it's not really an understanding of how to talk about it. How do you think we can get past that language barrier and feel a bit more relaxed about talking about diversity? Yeah, I think that the way to do it is 
even though it's uncomfortable, still talk about it, basically, and try and get the people with the right type of mindsets in the same, you know, different mindsets, but an appreciation of what we're trying to achieve here in the fact that diversity is, yes, it's a buzzword, but there's many studies around how diverse teams produce better results Mm. in all aspects. And I think it's understanding that from a business perspective, that's what makes, that that is just what makes sense. But also finding ways and talking to, being able to talk to people openly about, you know, how can I get this message across? Um, I was in a position recently where, you know, we felt that we were underrepresented underrepresented, um, in relation to our male-female balance in the team. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to openly say I only want female candidates, but I was... I felt like I couldn't say yeah, that yeah, because yeah. of the bias that I'm nervous about that. Nervous about that. So I think it is about still having those conversations anyway. It's mm. it's fine to ruffle a few feathers. It's fine to be uncomfortable. But I think it's about talking to the right types of people who appreciate that the reason we're having these conversations is to try and move things on, you know, and and that's fine. And I suppose there's things we can do on a micro level, just mm. kind of how we hire, what, what kind of sources we go to to yep. hire different people, just like widening the pool yes. a little bit. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I think um, people who aren't, and if, for example, a networking group that allows people who maybe are a bit younger than the, um, the, the kind of profile of that networking group to just come in and have a chat with people, mm. you know, who people who they wouldn't normally have access to in their kind of day-to-day. Mm. And I think that breeds uh, respect, understanding, and generally people get to identify with people on a level that they didn't previously either think was possible mm. or to a point where, you know, they at least have experienced it and they understand the differences in people so that they can, again, try and move the conversation on and move um, move the world on from a business perspective. Mm. And if you, um, just, just to finalize if you yeah. could go back and mm-hmm. give yourself some advice before launching your business mm-hmm. what would, what is it that you wish you'd known and uh, what would you tell yourself Ooh, um the only thing i would probably tell myself is that it is harder than you thought it was going to be mm-hmm. basically and and that's okay to the point where just just keep going if you believe in something and you think that it's going to work but you're also smart about it in the sense that you're getting you're getting evidence that this thing is working it might not be working perfectly but it's working then basically it's supposed to be hard it's not Mm. i think when i first started it was oh well i was pretty good in the corporate world i got things really quickly i'll just kind of move on start my own thing and i'll get there quickly and it wasn't the case this is the only thing that's kept me constantly engaged because it's just so hard Mm. and I think the only thing I would tell myself is it's fine it is hard Mm. it's going to it's not going to get easier in the sense that you'll make you'll make decisions that will make other things more difficult later and that's just how business is but it's cool Mm. it's fine just keep going what aspects have you found particularly hard beyond cash flow oh apart from everything yeah yeah apart from everything I think Sometimes it's on more on a personal level. The the fact that you're a you're a leader mm. when you have a team and that even when things are not going great, you know, you need to be the the person that's showing 
everything's going to be fine. This is the plan. We're going to figure it out. But inside, you might be terrified mm. as well. And I think from, you know, read a lot of books about kind of self-awareness and um, meditation and all these kind of things to just understand that it's okay to feel these things. Just don't let it be a barrier to you continuing and yeah. making it work. So I think the hardest thing is actually managing the personal emotions, the conflicting emotions, because it's your baby, right? You know, yeah. you want it to work, but you have to also listen to what the market is saying about mm. the thing um, and also make sure that, you know, you stand your ground and you're shown to be a strong leader in front of others. Yeah. Um, but no, sometimes it's just... Sometimes you're like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that feeling. And yeah. you're, you're, you're having to put on a sort of a brave face and you want to be the strong one, but actually inside you're kind of scared or you're worried about the yes. next month's payroll or whatever it exactly. is. Exactly, yeah. And it, it can be quite scary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I suppose it's about dealing with those things also in your own time. So trying yes. to, like, do whatever is good for your mental health. Go for some walks, get it, a hot chocolate. Exactly, you know? yeah. One thing I've recently started to do is um, every day um, talk about three things I'm grateful for. So basically just say... I'm grateful for, you know, being able to do this podcast, for example, whatever it is, and recognising that even though things are tough at times, that we're still in a very fortunate mm. position, you know. I think that's definitely helped me, at least. Gratitude for the small things. Exactly. I also keep a gratitude journal, and I looked at it the other night, and I could tell I'd had a really bad day because I said I was grateful for my hot water bottle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a really strange apparel. It was pretty cold, though. It was a cold day. I was very grateful for the hot water yeah. bottle. Well, thank you so much for joining me and being so open and honest with us. Um, if people would like to find out more about you or to find out more about your company, where can they find you online? So they can go to www.metierdigital.com or they can email me on nana, N-A-N-A, at metier, M-E-T-I-E-R, digital.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
If you've enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so more people can find the show. And if you're feeling inspired and think of pursuing a creative project of your own, then there's a home for you at Work Life. You can find out more at work.life. been a candy store production for work life hosted by angelica malin and produced by van connor t-shirt weather by poddington bear appears under creative commons 3.0 with podcast recording facilities in partnership with work life visit work.life for more information you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.